Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. When you think of Las Vegas, your mind probably thinks gambling, nightlife, shows, gourmet food, and great cocktails. Today's show invites you to expand your imagination. For starters, there are great museums in Vegas. The Mob Museum, the Neon Museum, the Pinball Museum. Today, you'll learn about yet another one, the Atomic Museum, just minutes from the Strip with a look back to the days when atomic testing was just another only in Vegas activity. And then there's the outdoors. Vegas has some of the greatest recreational opportunities in the United States. One of those is taking a paddle wheeler to experience Lake Mead and the world-famous Hoover Dam. Our friend Daniel Clark, who you know from Rogue Hiking, tells you why this is another can't-miss Vegas fun spot. Don't forget our ensemble of Vegas experts are here as well. Their goal, bring Vegas home to you. Michael Shackelford, the Wizard of Odds, is with us, and your Vegas art guide, Pawn Stars' Brett Maley. It's summer, which means food and drink, with tips from Chef Justin Wells, Barbecue Master Mike Ross, and your Vegas sommelier, Matt Leos. And on the Sports Raconteurs, you'll meet one of the greatest bad guys in wrestling history, Chris Jericho. First up, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Today's Vegas, not everything is back, but craps is. Dice security measures. You wrote something about that, and I think people really, we don't have time to go through all of it, but it's really fascinating. There's a lot of things they do to make sure the dice is a clean game, right? I mean, you talk from the quality of the dice to markings and so forth. When you were digging into that, were you surprised at just how detailed it was, or is that something you just expect from these guys? Well, I mean, they are they have a vest casinos have a vested interest in keeping their games random because if the game is random, the math is always going to work out to the benefit of the casino. If a player can figure out a way to influence the outcome of a wager, the casinos have a lot at risk. So I, I guess I didn't understand how many security measures there are with dice. I'm thinking, you know, how many can there be? But just the fact that you can see through the dice uh, makes it easier to see if they're weighted. Uh, just the, the intricacies of how precise the, the manufacturing is of, of the dice. Uh, just some rules at the table that they have. Uh, you cannot change hands when you're playing craps. They're paranoid that a player is going to swap swap the dice out. Uh, you have to hit the back wall, and that back wall that they're talking about is a textured wall so that the dice bounce randomly. Uh, dice that you use at a craps table have sharp corners. If you're playing at home, playing Monopoly or some other game, the, the corner of the dice are rounded. But in craps, that leads to a roll that is not random. So all of those security measures from uh, sometimes they'll use dice that under a black light, one of the spots will turn a different color. Just I had no idea how many different measures they have. And it, it really just, it's whether it's a logo on the side or a serial number on the side of the dice, 
they have got it they have got it wired and they can they can spot a fake die at any point from a distance and you are in trouble it is a felony to try and cheat in any casino in las vegas so i say think twice <laughs> if you think you're clever they're more clever thanks scott visit vitalvegas.com every day and follow scott on twitter at vitalvegas not just great coverage but there's incredible photos there as well I know it's hot this time of year, but there's no reason not to venture out. We had a lot of response for Daniel Clark's last visit. He's, of course, the founder and proprietor of Rogue Hiking, which is a great tour. But he also is, a, as you remember from the interview, he's also a boat captain. And he works with the folks over at Lake Mead Cruises, which have just reopened. And that's kind of an exciting thing. Now, Daniel, let's talk about Lake Mead Cruises. Uh, it's one of those places where you can really see Hoover Dam from a different perspective. Absolutely. It's pretty much the water tour for Hoover Dam and the history of the dam and the people that came to build it. Um, you know, you can go and do the land tour at uh, Hoover Dam, but we're, we're the other side. We're the upside of the river, and uh, you get to see it from a different perspective. Yeah, and I think it's really cool. A lot of people have been out to Hoover Dam, and that is an interesting tour. There's no question. But I think, you know, seeing it from the water, you really get a different feel for it. We know a lot of those interesting statistics and so forth. But wow, and not to mention, it's fun going out on a paddle wheeler, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great narration. The The narration on our 90-minute sightseeing tour to the dam and back is full of everything you'd want to know. It's It's got so much information, everything from the time that, you know, Nevada was a shallow sea up through the dinosaur area and geological land formations and the native people and then the people that came to survey, the early explorers, the surveyors, the people that build the dam, and then you get the modern-day statistics of, of what the dam does and so forth. It's an all-encompassing narration that's really phenomenal. When you think about the uh, mid-century, 20th century, it was such an important feat. It, it was one of those great wonders of the world. And so many people work there. It really helps develop the southern part of Nevada. Yeah, it did. It actually, you know, the whole creation of Boulder City was a planned city by the federal government. What's interesting, a lot of people don't realize this, when the Great Depression began, this was the onset of the beginning of the project, and people were traveling across the country to come and work on this dam, and they showed up early to where the dam actually began construction six months earlier than planned, and it was approximately another two years before Boulder City was even started being built. So where did they hang out? Were they out camping and that kind of thing? They were, if you want to call it camping, yeah, they were living in the desert. Uh, they were showing up in downtown Las Vegas. Back then, Fremont Street was five blocks, very low population, not much going on. And they were directed that if you want a, a job, you might as well go out to the construction site down at the Colorado River. So people started migrating out this way and developed what became known as Ragtown. These people showed up in old Ford vehicles with mattresses strapped to the top. They set the mattresses down in the dirt. They took blankets and threw them over creosote bushes to make tents. There was nothing out here except the small ferry service that was going back and forth across the river. Well, I know in part of your uh, rogue hiking, you get a feel for what these people dealt with. It's pretty hot and miserable. It's not really conducive to uh, hanging out, especially in the summertime. No, it's not. You know, they, they had really no fresh food, no refrigeration, obviously no air conditioning. And they were living on canned foods, pretty much. 
Um, it, it was a very unique time. It was desperate times. It is a triumphant story of the American spirit. Yeah, it really is. It makes you think of the Grapes of Wrath. It's, <laughs> yeah, it, you talk about desperation. It'll show what people really will do when uh, you get to a point where I need to survive. Exactly. They had, you know, they had, they had young babies out here. There was five-month-olds that were pretty much laying in the dirt next to their mothers to sleep, and it, it got so hot in July of 1931. Uh, in one day, four women actually died in their tents while their men were working on the construction of the dam. It was incredibly, incredibly hot. More with Daniel Clark in a moment. Let's check in now with the Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford. What about Baccarat? You said that that, that can, you can lose a lot of money quickly in that, can't you, as I understand it? It will. It depends how much you bet. If you're playing mini Baccarat where the dealer deals all the cards and the players don't touch them, that is a fast-paced game. But as long as you stick to the banker and the player bet, at least the house advantage will be under 1.5%, which is, which is not bad. You could do much better in blackjack or craps. So it's not the best game choice. It's not the worst game choice. Personally, I find Baccarat to be as boring as the flip of a coin. My, But I know some players just love it. My advice with Baccarat is very simple. Just stick to the banker and player bets, preferably the banker. Avoid the tie, avoid the pair, avoid any sucker bet you see on the table. Just banker and player. Thanks, Michael. Back with Daniel Clark discussing Lake Mead cruises in a moment, along with tips from Chef Justin Wells and barbecue master Mike Ross. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Have you been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma? Did you spend your life working hard in a shipyard or in the railroad industry? Were you a pipe fitter in the oil or gas industry? Or maybe you worked in construction or you're a proud Navy veteran. If you worked in any of these industries, it's a high likelihood you worked around or near asbestos in your lifetime. And if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma, you may be entitled to significant compensation. Our attorneys have been fighting hard for years to win our customers the compensation they're entitled to for their pain and suffering. So if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma, call right now for help. This commercial is paid for by Airtime Media, and I'm a non-attorney spokesperson. 800-814-5077-800-814-5077-800-814-5077. Again, that's 800-814-5077. To reemerge stronger and safer than ever, ask yourself these crucial questions. Should all restaurants, retailers, and venues have new safety and sanitation procedures in place? As a business owner, how can you assure your valued guests that proper protocols are being followed? How can you give your guests confidence knowing that you've prioritized their health and safety? Introducing VirusSafe Pro a revolutionary mobile technology software that provides checklists, reminders, and confirmations to help your team perform health and safety measures right on schedule. It allows you to close the information gap in the workplace by giving your employees a dedicated source of credible instructions in a timely manner, right from their mobile devices. Validate compliance with health and wellness standards, provide regular safety and health messaging, and confirm that approved protocols are being performed all in real time and an easy-to-read dashboard. Tracking and verifying health and safety procedures in your business has never been more important. To learn more about how VirusSafe Pro can help you reopen, visit VirusSafePro.com. 
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Chef Justin Wells has been sharing his list of must-haves for all the soon-to-be gourmet chefs in the audience. This week, Chef Wells reminds us that all kitchen equipment is not created equal. Isn't it true, too, that home ovens and stuff, they're not all the same, right? One person's 350 might be somebody else's 325. Absolutely. Ovens vary 50 or 100 degrees a lot. And, and you'll, you'll notice that with, you'll notice that dramatically. And even with new stuff, I mean, people say, how can it be off? It's a brand new Wolf range. And I spent a, you know, a small car on it. And it's like, it's dramatically off. So um, you can get a little hang thermometer that actually goes inside your oven and you can you can keep an eye on it. And if you know that it's off by 50 and you want to have a fix, you certainly can, but you can also just know that it's off by 50 and change it. And then also the difference of convection. A lot of people don't understand the difference between using convection and not or roast and not and when to broil. So utilizing your tools correctly, I think, makes a big difference. Well, thanks, Chef. Now let's get back to our conversation with Daniel Clark, passenger boat captain at Lake Mead Cruises and the founder of Rogue Hiking. Another thing you're going to see besides Hoover Dam and so forth and get all this great history is the Pat Tillman Memorial Bridge. I, actually, I think it's the Michael Callahan Pat Tillman Memorial Bridge. Is that right? That is the official name, yes. Okay. And that's something to see as well. I mean, that's really another engineering feat. It really is. It's a quarter mile above the Colorado River. And if you've never been across that, the view is phenomenal. It's It just really gives you a perspective of of where the dam sits and you know you can see it from either side if you do the dam tour but when you're up there looking down towards it it gives you a lot more perspective it's it's a great tour now i know there's different ways there's like a brunch tour midday evening kind of talk about the differences between those sure we do the sightseeing tour at 12 p.m it's a 90 minute tour we do it um just about every day but um christmas and thanksgiving we're closed but other than that, uh, we're available, you know, the rest of the year. It's a year-round tour. And then we also have the brunch tour on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And that is, um, for the most part, it can be year-round, depending on, on what our weather looks like over the winter. And then a dinner cruise, what we do normally from March 1st to the end of October. It's a great thing. Lake Mead Cruises Definitely, you want to add that to your next visit out to Las Vegas. And I know it's a big deal coming back from the pandemic and so forth. It's probably the first time it was closed in years. True. Yeah, absolutely. Other than, you know, occasional government shutdowns over the more recent years. But for the most part, yeah, it's, we've never had a, a shutdown period that, that extended this long. And so if people want to do this, where do they go online to make their reservations? They can go to lakemeadcruises.com, and it's all pretty self-explanatory. Once you get there, you can book it right online. Also, it, a new website just started called vegashalfoff.com, which Lake Mead Cruises is on, offering a sightseeing cruises at 50% or two-for-one, however you want to look at that. It's two-for-one tickets for the sightseeing cruise. Yeah, that's that's exciting. Great deals. We're always looking for those. And while you're out there, the Rogue Hiking Tour, Rogue Hiking, is one of the really great things about Las Vegas that a lot of people aren't aware of, but they should be. It's it's unique. You're still doing that, as I understand, Daniel. How do we get a hold of uh, you to set up that? While, we, while we're out there, we might as well do both. 
Sure, absolutely. You can go to our website, is roadhiking.us, and you can book your tour right there online. It's it's all able to be booked there, or you can call me. My phone number's on there. We can set something up for you. And on our website, you can go to the archives and hear our first interview with Daniel about a year ago where we talked about that in detail. Trust me, it's a great trip. Hey, Daniel, thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's good to visit with you. Let's welcome now Michael Hall, Executive Director of the National Atomic Testing Museum, a few blocks away from the Strip. The museum just opened back up this month and is open now on weekends for the near future. It's not just for people that love science, although there's plenty of science here. Do you find that a lot of the visitors have their particular favorite areas that they like to hang out in, that kind of thing? There are many uh, interesting exhibits here, including our Area 51 exhibit. Now, that eventually will be changed out for a new exhibit. We're going to retain the Area 51 nomenclature, the the exhibit itself, within the museum long term. But uh, we are really trying to address a new generation, uh, do new and upgraded exhibits that will will talk to uh, a new generation that really doesn't, is not familiar with this history, but uh, we hope hope that they realize how important it is to our American history. Well, and again, we mentioned Smithsonian, and one thing I like about that is these are really interactive. It's not like you just go by and see a bunch of pictures with a written description. You know, there's sights, there's sounds, and I guess that's something, you know, as a director, you're always looking for the latest technology to try to make this as stimulating as it can for people to visit. We have a lot of interactive things, and we have a really uh, interesting video that plays midway through your experience called uh, the Ground Zero Theater, where you sit for 15 minutes and you actually witness and kind of feel what it's like, what it would have been like to sit and actually sit outdoors and observe one of these nuclear tests. More with Michael Hall of the Atomic Museum coming up. Over the last few weeks, we've been discussing improving your cookouts with barbecue master Mike Ross of Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Today, Mike discusses smokers. Are they for everybody? When you're cook- if you're if you're a big steak or burger cook, you know even though that some of these on the lower end, a lot of these lower end, which are still great, but they, they don't sear. You know they won't get to 500 degrees, so you can put a good mark on a steak or burger. Um, usually, what you have to do is you know you cook it. And then you will sear it afterward, and you get that good smoke flavor. You know, if you're cooking a big steak, right? You, you say you're doing a tomahawk, right? Yeah. And you, you know, you throw it on your on your pellet smoker, for instance, and then you know you get the, you you cook it to about you know 120 degrees or so, um, which is a, like a rare at that point. And then you take it and you throw it on a cast iron for another you know five minutes, five or so minutes on each side, and then that's when you get your sear. So. But if you're looking for a sear, you're going to want to go pure, like just a grill. Grills and smokers have two completely different functions. You know, you can you can kind of grill on a smoker, but it's really hard to smoke on a grill. Right. So, right. you know, so, you know, it's especially when you're dealing with propane and all this stuff, you know, it's almost, it's almost impossible. You know, you have to like really know what you're doing to smoke yeah. a rack of ribs on a propane grill. So... Having one of each is always, you know, a, a good option if you can. But for the most part, I think that you can do more things, have more utility on a smoker. And now I'm just talking pellet. So if you get like the other smoker called the Weber Smoky Mountain that I just no- mentioned, yeah, that's just a, that's a charcoal setup. So you can actually move your coals up or move your racks down and grill a steak right on it. So nice. you know, it all depends on what you have and how you 
are able to use it and if you know how to use it in that way or adapt you know like i said sometimes you got to take your meat off and do a nice sear on it separately nothing wrong with that thanks mike don't forget if you're in vegas or are headed there make sure to visit jesse ray's and if you mention vegas never sleeps they take 15 percent off of your bill it's what we call winning big in vegas Coming up, more with Michael Hall from the Atomic Museum and visits with your Vegas sommelier, Matt Leos, and Pawn Stars' Brett Maley, your Vegas art guide. Remember, all of our shows are archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com, so you never have to miss a show. You can also listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Last week, your Vegas sommelier, Matt Leos, discussed great wine. This week, Matt shows his versatility, and you might want to take notes. Why don't you like cocktails? Uh, and oh, this city has some cocktail. great cocktails. So where do we go for that? Let's say we're not a wine buff. But- oh, man, there's so many places to go for cocktails, and... and- all the places I've mentioned, um, Sparrow and Wolf, great cocktails. Uh, Esther's Kitchen, Keith behind the bar at Esther's Kitchen is a madman, makes outrageous cocktails. EDO, you can get really good cocktails. They have a Ghirardon, and they'll make a cocktail table side for you, a gin cocktail. A heen and tonic, as they say in Spain. <laughs> and, but that's the focus. Gin and tonics um, is kind of the focus at uh, EDO Ada's you can get really same type of concept a gear down uh, cocktail service where they come and make your cocktail kind of right by your table and which is really cool um, there's so many great places to get cocktails man yeah it, I love cocktails at Sparrow and Wolf and there's some really places where you can have an exotic I mean you're going to pay over $20 but it's going to be something you'll remember <laughs> I paid – I'm not going to say – actually, should I, I shouldn't say the restaurant, but I paid um, with tip almost $32 for a Negroni, one cocktail <laughs> in a restaurant on the Strip. Wow. Which, yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Let's continue our conversation with Michael Hall, the executive director of the National Atomic Testing Museum. Was there any stuff, on, I assume, on radiation and that kind of fear, especially as time went on? We're actually going to open a new exhibit probably within the next six months called Exposure, and it in particular will address the issues of radiation. Uh, people don't realize, but radiation just doesn't come from nuclear weapons. You can go outside and you receive radiation from the sun. There's, very, there's many natural forms of radiation, and it just depends on your amount of exposure, whether it is good or bad. I mean, even eating a banana, you get a small amount of radiation. Radiation is all around us. Some of the folks that were involved in this thing back in those days come by and visit. I mean, is this something – do you enjoy having them here, and do they get kind of a kick out of see what – how you've recreated this entire era of, of ours? Absolutely, and that goes to the passion I spoke of that really is inherent in this place. We have actually many tour guides and uh, helpers, volunteers at our museum that actually worked at the test sites. Some of them worked at Area 51, and they have wonderful stories that the visitors enjoy. And what a lot of people don't realize is the test site was not just about, you know, testing nuclear weapons. It brought a lot of jobs to Las Vegas that helped build infrastructures and schools and sewers and things that allowed Las Vegas to grow and be acceptable to the, the bigger casinos that came 
came later. And today we, you know, there's a great deal of retired individuals in this community that are former employees of the test site. Let's talk about the test site itself. Now, that wasn't actually in Las Vegas. It was out in a town called Mercury, Nevada, I understand. That's how far from here, and did people commute in, or was – I understand at one time there was quite a few employees. There's not anything out there now, though. Well, the test site is still in operation. It's a smaller operation. They do subcritical tests. They do uh, emergency – emergency management training out there. They do a lot of very important things, important to natural, uh, national defense. However, the test site first opened in 1951. It was part of the original World War II-era Nevada bombing range, bombing and gunnery range, and it was about 1,300 square miles that were carved out for nuclear testing starting in 1951. Now, initially, it was just selected here because it was a close flight from Los Alamos. They had their own runway out there. They didn't think they would even need to even use Las Vegas because Las Vegas was a very small town at the time, and it was 60 miles away. However, they realized in short order that it took a lot of logistics support to set off nuclear weapons, and they hired a small construction firm called EG&G. Had 50 employees in 1952. Three years later, it had 50,000 employees. Uh, Again, Las Vegas, that was the founding of what is modern-day Las Vegas because uh, they found Las Vegas the ideal base for laboratories and housing. And, of course, the families came here. They needed schools. And it, it, over the years, it it really led to a, a infrastructure uh, improvement and growth of Las Vegas. So really then, it was part of the whole Las Vegas growth when you come to think of it. Sure, there was gambling and entertainment and so forth, but this was just another thing that brought more people in and more people that actually lived here. Well, talk a little about Mercury, Nevada, because I drove through there several years ago, you know, and there wasn't much there. <laughs> there was a few little spots and that was it. Is that, uh, was it at one time uh, more of a thriving area itself, just the city? Mercury was originally established in the 1950s to support the test site. It was a government housing barracks, a very simple uh, area, and it has always been basically controlled by the the, originally the atomic energy commission and then which evolved into the department of energy today that's in charge of you know nuclear issues but it's a secure site it's not really open to the public however having said that they do do tours today of the test site now we also talked uh, earlier about one of the features is area 51 people love that kind of stuff there's a lot of interest in that tell them what they'll see here about uh, area 51 Uh, We do address in our current exhibit, you know, the myth and the reality, and there's some interesting stories, and that's always fun to talk about. There's a lot of stories out here. Uh, Again, we're not here to pass an opinion, but to just document things and, and convey this to the public, but it's a very popular exhibit. And I know throughout the years, things change. You have different events. Do you have anything coming up uh, in the near future that people can look for? We have events every – programming every month. We have a wonderful education director here, uh, Joe Kent, who uh, has installed a movie series. every Approximately every month we, we show a free movie for our members. Uh, we also have a speaker series that takes place at least once a month. Uh, we've had, we do a number of children's programming events through the year. We're actually going to – we have something in early summer every year. Uh, so there's, there's many things. So I encourage you to visit our website and, and consult our calendar because we always have active things, and most of them are free to the public. Well, let's talk about that. First of all, your location, a great one because it's not far off from uh, the Strip and that kind of thing. It's, pretty, it's a pretty easy drive, and there is parking here, which is really advantageous in this town. 
there's good parking, and I'm surprised how many people actually walk down here from the Strip. It's it's uh, uh, not that bad of a walk, maybe not in this summer heat, but we have a, a lot of out-of-town visitors, which we welcome, and a lot of local visitors. And as uh, you saw today when you toured our museum, we have a lot of school groups that come through, and that's a big um, focus to us is education and providing a story to the many school groups that visit us. Well, Michael, we'll be coming back as the years go on, but for now, if people want to find out more about the museum, let's tell them where to go on the web. What do they look for? If you if you just type in National Atomic Testing Museum. Thanks, Michael. Really appreciate your time, and uh, this is just a wonderful place. We'll be out to see it. We hope you come and visit. The National Atomic Testing Museum is open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Time now to welcome back the art appraiser from Pawn Stars, your Vegas art guide, Brett Maley. Do you have an unexpected gift in your garage or attic? Brett says you never know. Are there a lot of surprises? In other words, maybe in somebody's home somewhere around the world, there's an incredible piece of art that could be worth millions and millions of dollars that maybe people don't even realize. I mean, do you find that happens on a somewhat regular basis? It happens very regularly. As a matter of fact, there was just a story about a uh, an old master work that had, I believe it was a museum in Idaho that they had been it had been donated to them and it needed some restoration and they weren't able to do the restoration right at that time, so they ended up putting it in the closet, and they literally forgot about it for a hundred years. And finally, they're going through this closet and they're pulling things out and they're like, "What's this?" And there's this this masterpiece that I believe they said could be worth as much as sixteen million dollars. And that's, that's the thing, again, going back to the history part, a lot of paintings and a lot of the history of the paintings is lost to time. So, uh, you know, works that are in, you know, private collections, you know, those, you know, they can be forgotten. And I get a lot of people coming in with works that they inherited from their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents, and they're desirable works and they're valuable works. And it's my job to trace that history and, uh, you know, d- determine that value. Thanks, Brett. Don't forget to visit Brett's incredible gallery in Vegas, Art Encounter. Check out the web for the address, but if you call and mention Vegas Never Sleeps, they'll send a limo to pick you up from your hotel. It's definitely worth a visit. Up next, this week's edition of the Sports Rock on Tours. Today's Rock on Tour is the wrestling great Chris Jericho. Ciao, I am Giada Valenti. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code 
Vegas 20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to the Sports Rock on Tours. Today's topic is the art of being a wrestling villain. It's more complicated than you might think, and today you'll hear the story of one of the greats, Chris Jericho, in his own words. Have you ever known somebody that just seems to be able to do anything they want, regardless of how much variety there was? Well, our guest today is one of those people, a modern day renaissance man. His name is Chris Jericho. You might know him from the world of wrestling. He's a fantastic wrestler. He's also a metal rocker and even a best-selling author on the New York Times list. Uh, his new book is The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. Well, Chris, uh, this book is really interesting. Okay, it's not your first book, but it tells a story of when you went away for a little while from wrestling and coming back. It wasn't quite what you expected in 2007, was it? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been gone for a couple of years, and when I came back for this triumphant return, it really wasn't so triumphant. And the, and the reason for that was I was kind of stagnant. I was playing a character that was stale, a little bit outdated, uh, and I, I knew I needed to change it up if I was going to get to the next level. Because um, the worst thing you can do is become a parody of yourself, become a nostalgia act, and that's kind of where I was at. So I just stripped everything away got rid of everything that people enjoyed about the Chris Jericho character and just went really dark and really uh, deep and fell into this, 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 this bad guy role that became the most hated guy in the company. And, and, you know, to the point where people were attacking me on the streets, uh, you know, assaulting me on a regular basis. But and this you- was in 2008. You know, that's something that you would see in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, but it was happening in the modern era. So, really uh, touched a nerve with people and, and kind of revitalized and took my career to a completely different level. Well, was that kind of fun to make that switch? Because, you know, you, you, you did the other thing, been there, done that. Was it fun to try to play that other side and kind of go into that part of your mind and see how crazy you well, can I, get with it? I, I played heel, heels, as we call them in wrestling, for years. But the difference to this one was is I, I just reconstructed what a heel was. I saw the movie No Country for Old Men. And there was Javier Bardem won an Oscar for playing this character called Anton Schur, which is a very quiet, deliberate, uh, you know, this is going to happen because it's just the way it is type of a character. And at that point, a lot of guys were still yelling in the ring. And when I just started talking very quietly, I remember people like yelling, like, we can't hear you, talk louder. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to have to focus and realize that I wasn't screwing around. But this was a whole new Jericho, and, and you were going to listen to what I had to say, whether you liked it or not. And that really uh, rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's why I did it. So it was a real kind of cool reinvention. It was, it was almost a really uh, interesting case study of society when, when I turned to this character. And it was a lot of fun to write about, for sure. I'm sure it is. And- it just strikes me as it really you're really the face of modern day wrestling where it's not just uh, you know before it was kind of a comedy act sort of you one of the interviews I mean here you've really taken this to a whole nother level and plus there's still this incredible athletic ability that's necessary to do this night after night yeah well I mean it's always been about because when I started wrestling it was uh, you know the early 90s and that was small I mean it was all about six foot eight guys and I'm 5'11 and 
I knew that I'd never be the biggest guy in the show, but I could have the biggest character and the biggest personality and, and the most charisma. And I've always structured myself that way. So when this character finally came to be, you know, I had successful characters in the past. It's just, just this whole new thing of uh, this new type of heel, like, 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 like we were talking about, that was a lot of fun. But, you know, it's easier to make people hate you than it is to make them like you. But the real challenge is to make them stay hating you. Because the best bad guys of all time always eventually turn into good guys. And I'm not even talking about wrestling. I'm talking about uh, Darth Vader and Hannibal Lecter, Terminator, Freddy Krueger, the Joker. All those guys become amazing good guys because they're so entertaining. And when I was as entertaining as I was, to, to walk that line and make sure that people would never like me was the real challenge. And that's why I forbid the WWE from making Chris Jericho merchandise. Uh, no catchphrases. If I ever said anything that people started to get into and started to repeat after me or make signs of it in the crowd, I stopped saying it. Like, whatever was the, the, the norm of doing things, I did the opposite. And, and that's why it worked because it was something completely different that hadn't been done before. You obviously understand marketing real well. Did you have any trouble selling McMahon on this concept? No, he loved it. And he was actually the one guy that, that, that backed me. You know, I talk about in the book when I was attacked uh, in a parking lot in, in Victoria, B.C. by a mob of crazy fans and had to fight back. And, of course, some people were taping that on their phones, recording on their phones, made it all the way to Nancy Grace. So Jericho was public enemy number one, beating up fans. And everybody in the company was against me, but Vince had my back. Or when I started a, a riot in London by people throwing glow sticks at me, as ridiculous as it sounds, but, you know, hundreds of glow sticks in like this blizzard of, of neon yellow. Uh, and once again, the company was furious at me and, and everyone was mad at me, but Vince had my back. He understood that I was doing something that we all dream of as a heel to get that type of reaction, real legitimate hatred. It's hard to do, and I don't know if you could ever really do it anymore. That was kind of like the last end of an era to really get this type of person that would cause that type of reaction in people um, where, like I said, they knew it was a show, but for me, it was different. This is a show, but that guy's a jerk, and we want to hurt him ourselves. It's yeah. kind of scary, but it's also like a, like a standing ovation for me as a bad guy to get that type of reaction, and Vince understood that. Yeah, it, it really is because I'm thinking of some of the bad guys in the past, and a lot of times they'd be associated with world events like the Iron Sheik. This is something where they genuinely disliked you. Yeah, there was no there was no uh, xenophobia or you know jingoistic tendencies or you know if you if you look at a lot of the heels at the time and the, you know, the, the big the big bad guys quote unquote when I was in WCW with the NWO, there was nothing bad about them. You know, they, they came out to the ring. They said they were going to kick everybody's ass. They did. They were funny. They were entertaining. But they were the bad guys. Like, what's the hate? They had cool merchandise. Everybody's wearing NWO stuff. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, when Triple H was a bad guy or anybody like that, there would be all this merchandise. And I was like, why would you want to have people wearing your stuff if you want them to hate you? You know, and I, that's why I was like, there's no merch allowed. I remember, like, any time I was in the vicinity of the arena, I, I would go into that mode. I would not, you know, I wouldn't sign autographs or anything like that. I remember Madison Square Garden 
to get in there, you have to park across the street. Like you can't park in the garden. Everybody has to park across the street, and then you walk across the street in. And I remember I got on the park, the parking garage elevator, and there was a, a dad and his son got in the elevator with me. And the guy's like, "Hey, Jericho, can you sign an autograph for my son? He's a big fan." I just looked straight ahead in the elevator. I didn't <laughs> say a word. And he's like, "Jericho, hey, hey, hey!" And the guy got so mad at me because I wouldn't acknowledge his existence. And this poor kid, yeah. probably seven or eight years old, and it tore my heart apart because I have a son the same age. But I was like, I can't take the chance of signing this kid's autograph. And then two hours later, when everybody hates me in the garden, him going to his friends or anyone sitting around me or even himself going, he's not such a, he's not such a bad guy. He signed my, my kid's autograph. I didn't want that. I wanted the opposite. He's a son of a bitch. I hate him. He wouldn't sign my kid's autograph. Kill him. And that's why I was able to get that reaction because as bad as and hard as it was, it was real to those people that saw me at that arena that night. And it's kind of a Daniel Day-Lewis kind of thing where you know he became Abraham Lincoln. It sounds like you had to become this character. Was it hard to turn Absolutely. it off when you went home? I mean, you know, when yes, you... it was. Yeah, it affected it affected me. You know, it really did. And uh, you know, I had taken method acting classes in the two years before I came back to the WWE, so I knew what I was dealing with. It wasn't just you know I understood the the concept of having to drop in. And you know, when when Heath Ledger passed away, one of the rumors was that he was taking sleeping pills because he couldn't sleep because he was so immersed into the Joker and that character and how psychotic it was. It was hard to come out. And and I I understand that. I get it because. You know, I'd come out of the ring sometimes so furious and so pissed off at everything. It would take me, you know, half an hour to calm down. And then you would carry that home with you. So it, it was, a, uh, you know, I paid the price for playing that character, even though it was the pinnacle of my career uh, from, from that standpoint. From, from a, a normal person's standpoint, it does affect you for sure. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Really enjoyed it. No, I'm excited. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was a good conversation. Go to our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com, and check out the Sports Rock on Tour page. You can hear an expanded version of this conversation, plus a number of other great sports stories. And if you have a sports story you'd like us to share, please contact me at Stephen at VegasNeverSleeps.com. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you to join us again at Vegas Never Sleeps, where you can take a little Vegas home with you. Vegas, here we go!